You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young from K-State Online and Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury. And today we are talking about another K-State victory as the Wildcats get it done, albeit barely at home, 70-66 to over Oklahoma State, a game in which K-State trailed much of the evening but uh, found a way, put the pressure on the Cowboys in the end, and they did crack and that means you should raise a glass and uh it should be some ben holiday bottled in bond bourbon or some 360 vodka in said glass of course from our friends at holiday distillery we appreciate all of their support of the pod great k-state folks so i'm sure we're pumped about the, another victory and a four and one start to big 12 play just like we were so if you're a bourbon guy or gal make sure and get your ben holiday bottled in bond bourbon or you can check out their 360 vodka as well uh, had it the whole way. Not a single doubt, right? I know Cole and I were sitting next to each other during the game. We never doubted for one second. We were very calm, cool, and collected and uh, never had any bit of frustration at all as uh, K-State rolls to uh, another win. No, it's it's actually quite the opposite of that. In fact, there are eyewitnesses who could, uh, who could attest to that, but hey, they found a way again. And uh, that was a game that you really couldn't lose, especially with the, the week that you have coming up with a couple of really tough road games and the the stretch that you have coming up, which is going to be a pretty familiar refrain for anybody in the Big 12 at any point in time. But uh, that was a type of game that you you really couldn't afford to lose. Didn't want to pick up a, a first really bad-looking loss on the season. And uh, K-State just found a way to make enough plays and kind of let Oklahoma State wilt a bit when the pressure started to get to them and the environment started to get to them late. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, it wasn't the most impressive win that we've seen or the most impressive performance that we've seen from Kansas State. But, you know, when you pick up a a win that you can't afford to let slip through your fingers in the Big 12, I'm probably never going to be that critical about it. And especially because this team's just learning different ways to win. And I think that's the, I think there's a great skill about that. I think there's a great, you know, I think there's something to be said about teams that are able to do that. Uh, even Jerome Tang said afterwards, right? He said, you know, we got to be honest with ourselves. We look at our roster. We're not a team that's going to light it up for 80 or 90 points on most nights. This is kind of the way we have to win. And to be able to do it now as consistently as they have been, and let's be honest, consistency was part of the problem for this team for much of the year, uh, basically all throughout non-conference. And, and maybe those lessons learned are now – bearing out and 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 better performances and finding ways to win so yeah i'm not going to probably poo poo any big 12 win much this year you get one uh you love it and you move on to the next and, and try to grab the other what i will say is this team is so good late in games we know it the 10 and 0 in overtime i think under drum tanks like 11 and 4 and games decided by five points or less or something like that or maybe even more than that i probably have the numbers wrong but again I mean, Kansas State wins this game 70 to 66. Oklahoma State was up 60 to 54, I believe. So they uh, outscored the Pokes in the last, you know, I want to say five, six minutes, 16 to six. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, we kind of, when we talked about K State getting off to a 2 0 start in league play, and we, we were talking about the schedule and they caught scheduling breaks playing UCF and then at West Virginia. I mean, all you have to look at is what's happened to Kansas two games that we thought were kind of maybe gimmies for Kansas State that they won in blowout fashion that Kansas lost to those two opponents and both being on the road. Um, and so, you know, that just shows how hard it is to win in this league. It's so up and down. So, you know, any game that you win, regardless of the opponent that you're playing in Big 12 play, is not something to take for granted. And so, yeah, Oklahoma State is now 0-5 in league play, but we thought they might come out hungry. It, it was kind of a tough situational spot for Kansas State, too. Look, Oklahoma State had gotten blown out multiple games in a row. You thought Mike Boynton would have them ready and geared up to play, and Kansas State was coming off an emotional victory against Baylor, and they had multiple guys really battling sickness, uh, and, and that's well-known as well. Look, they were putting ice packs, with John and I being at the game, I think it was three minutes in, John, they took Tyler Perry out of the game, and I looked over to you and I said, you see that? They're putting an ice pack on Tyler Perry's neck and a towel, and he looked really lethargic on the bench, and 
I knew then he must be battling something. And so he was, he was beat up and under the weather, multiple guys were under the weather and uh, they had to battle through and, and pull one out to, uh, to get to four and one in league play. So yeah, you don't, you don't apologize for winning um, in that fashion. And look, you look at the final stat line, KSA shoots 52% from the floor. It's their third best offensive field goal percentage they put together this season. They shoot 36.4% from three. It ties for the third best performance from three this year. So offensively, they shot the ball well, uh, particularly at the rim. I think that was a big part. They were 16 and 24 from the floor on points in the paint. Oklahoma State was 19 or 9 of 20 from the floor on shots in the paint. K-State outscores them 32 to 18 on points in the paint. They got the ball inside. Um, and they capitalized second half. They got to the free throw line 13 times compared to only three attempts in the first half. They started pushing the ball inside more, and I thought that was a big key for Kansas State. So offensively, they were fine other than the turnovers. You know, 17 turnovers, I think Jerome Tang would tell you that's too many. Uh, that's three straight games that they've turned it over 16 times or more. They're turning it over on around 25% of their offensive possessions the last three games. they got to cut that number down to around 11 or 12 and Obviously, we'll get into that in a few minutes. That's going to be really key against Iowa State and Ames. That's what they thrive at is turning you over. So, ugly, maybe not the prettiest win, but uh, Kansas State found a way to make plays at the end when it mattered. And and they figured out those turnovers late too, right? In, in the Baylor win, I think, obviously, turnovers were a problem there, but I think they turned it over only two times in the last eight minutes. And then in the Oklahoma State win, you talked about the 17 turnovers. 12 of them were in the first half. Yeah, they, they yeah, 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 they, yeah. I think they only had five or six in the second half, just like the Baylor game when I think they what had two in the last 15 minutes plus overtime. So whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing, then do it earlier. Yeah, do it earlier. And I thought that another key for Oklahoma, the Oklahoma State game was that both Cam Carter and Tyler Perry were going through some rough patches there, and and they both figured it out enough late. Yeah, and I look to me, I kept thinking like Oklahoma State is a team that I would not expect to play well if you can really get the crowd into it late in the game and you can put some pressure on them. And for so long, you just couldn't put any pressure on them. And that's credit to Oklahoma State. I, I do think a part of this is you got to give them credit for making shots. I mean, they were hitting some tough shots and uh, just looked better. I kept saying to Cole, like they, they just look better than we do right now. And some of that wasn't even necessarily what K-State was doing. But they were not allowing K-State to string anything together, you know, for so long. There were all these moments where you're like, the crowd is like desperate to get into it. <clears throat> you want them to get into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Getting choked up talking about how it finally happened. And and you just couldn't get over the hump. And it was so frustrating. Like, dude, y- you got to make this happen at some point. Because Oklahoma State, as much as we talk about how good K-State has been in games that are going down to the wire, Oklahoma State was 0-5 in games decided by five points or less coming into that. And they're they're pretty young. And so I just kept thinking, like, if you can get ahead, if you can get the go-ahead basket and then really get the crowd jumping, Oklahoma State is probably going to wilt, and they did. I mean, that's that's basically what happened. Now, I didn't necessarily have it as a Cam Carter banked three that was going to be the thing to put you over the top and really start putting the pressure on them, but I suppose I'll take it, you know, on a day like that. And maybe that's uh, a little bit of the kiss that you get from, from being at home in that game. But I felt like that was a big part of it. K-State is a team that has been – as, as frustrating as it was for a lot of the season to play those games against North Alabama, Oral Roberts, et cetera, that were very close. They've been through a lot of those fires, particularly at home. They they have the confidence that they can figure it out, and uh, they were able to figure it out, and Oklahoma State was a team that probably went into a little bit of like, here we go again, sort of a mode. They just have not been able to figure it out in close games like that. And I know Arthur Kaluma was a stud, but there's something to be said for Cam Carter struggling as much as he is comes through with probably two of the bigger buckets at the end of the game. You talked about the three that was baked in. That was probably some good fortune there. But the lob on the inbounds with one second left. I mean, he hits that as well um, on a pretty good pass and, and finishes at the rim, one of those baskets at the rim that Cole alluded to. So I think I think there's something to be said for, for the way Kim Carter finished since you – He'll tell you. I mean, he, he showed up to the post-game press conference and he was not really thrilled with the way he played. You know, it's funny because it did seem like Cam struggled a lot, and yet you look at the final box score, he's 5 of 9 from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3, and he has 15 points. Now he had the four turnovers, and they were all bad turnovers for him, and I'm sure that's what lingered with him. And it felt uh, like more. <laughs> it did. It did. And yes. so, 
Yeah, he, he makes that huge play on the inbound pass. Great pass by Tyler Perry, by the way, too. You got to put that right on the right spot under the basket to Cam. He has got a smaller guy on him, and he goes up, puts it in, and then Cam buries the two free throws at the end of the game to seal it. Uh, so, and Arthur Kaluma. I mean, so Kaluma, we can get into him more a little bit, too, if we want, but him and Cam combined for 13 of K-State's final 14 points in the last four minutes and 30 seconds of that game, and uh, Kaluma went 4-4 four four at the free throw line in the last 4.30. He had a, a go-ahead kind of fadeaway 10-footer in the lane as well. And then obviously Cam had the banked in three, the shot at the buzzer, and 2-2 two at, two at the free throw line in that last four minutes and 30 seconds. But Kaluma, man, it's the second time he's kind of put this K-State offense in his, on his back this year. The Villanova game, he had 26. This one was the second most points. He scored 23 points. And he stuffed the stat line. He had seven rebounds. He had four assists. He had three steals. He had two blocks. He was terrific from the floor, seven of 12 from the floor, three of five from three. And over his last 10 games, he's 22 of 44 from beyond the arc, 50%. Uh, he's he's really, really playing well. He's 10th in the league and scoring at 15.2 points per game. He's rebounding better than he ever has in his career. All of his stats across the board are career best. You know, shooting 41.1% from three. The best he'd ever shot was 31% coming into this year. He's taken a huge leap in his game and uh, was huge, obviously, for K-State in winning this one. I think someone in our group chat, I don't know who was, trying to chart where how much kids trailed each time he made those three threes, I think it was by six, seven, and nine, if I remember correctly. So the threes were timely. In addition to him and Cam, I think he said the 13, the final 14 points. Yeah. Kaluma had the final 11 in the first half by himself. As yeah, well. yeah, Kaluma, Kaluma, as I charted Kaluma's threes, he uh, he hit one when they're down 30 to 23 to pull him within four. He hit one to go into halftime on a design set play to put him back within four. It was 35-28, he buried one. And then when it really felt like the game might be getting away, it was 50 to 41, and Kaluma steps up and hits a three to bring it 50 to 44. So uh, big shots. Now they eventually did fall behind by 10, I think at 54 to 44 with around 10 minutes left in the game, but they found a way to answer and respond. Tyler Perry had a couple big plays. He had a three, he had a big and one as well. Credit to him for, for fighting through it, you know, and the sickness, because I can just say when I'm sick, I'm a huge baby. So, uh, you know, I don't think I'd go out there and be able to play 30 plus minutes like some of these guys were able to do. Five turnovers for Kaluma didn't feel like that many. Four turnovers for Cam felt like he had a lot more. It was weird how the game played, right? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I would echo the sentiments for, for Tyler Perry and I, I think Dorian Finister, too. I think both of those guys were pretty close to not being able to go because they were sick. So they, they deserve a lot of credit for that. And, you know, Tyler Perry also had quite a bit of tape around his his hand and then his fingers, too. I think he's got uh, some some issues going on there that may linger a bit. We'll see. Uh, but he was he was really having to gut it out. He was having to gut it out quite a bit. So kudos to him because I mean, what you know, Day Day Ames was not particularly good again when he was in the game. So you know, you think about that game without Tyler Perry, even though he did have his moments that were frustrating too. Um, but you gotta you gotta start giving that man uh, some credit for the job that he is doing right now. Please give Homefield Apparel credit for uh, making us all look awesome. Uh, homefieldapparel.com is how you can get hooked up 15% off your first order with promo code 3mile23 the best K-State gear around the best gear for 100 plus schools out there across the country homefieldapparel.com is the place to find it all the old school K-State logos which is what is in vogue in style right now okay so get to homefieldapparel.com great friends of ours that have uh, helped supply us with the best looking K-State threads out there we're back in just a moment we appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest-ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. kcsn.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, you know, Arthur Kaluma, I, I, we just we just did hit on him a little bit there, man. But he, he has turned into the guy, I feel like, for this team right now. Is that... With Tyler Perry, especially, let, let's put it this way. We've kind of had this discussion before. I think it was the Patreon show that we did. And by the way, patreon.com slash 3Maw to get signed up for that. We did a really fun Q&A episode last week where we took all of your questions. And I think that was one of them. Like, who of these guys are potential all Big 12 guys? And we were having the debate between uh, Kaluma, Cam Carter, and, and Tyler Perry and who would be all Big 12 guys. And I know it seemed like the sentiment from you guys was like, hey, Arthur Kaluma's numero uno right now and it's it's starting to feel that way especially with how Tyler Perry is having to do so much more and I think that's a whole separate discussion that we've tried to have quite a bit here that people probably need to recalibrate some of the expectations for him because he's having to do so much ball handling and and basically be the point guard for the first time in his career and that's not what his skill set at North Texas was which was more of just a sniper who was going to go out and and shoot the lights out that hasn't been there as much but he's fulfilling a role that this team desperately needs and so that probably takes away from some of the lighted up scoring potential that he has and uh i i love cam but i think he's just been it feels like a little bit more inconsistent uh and arthur kaluma is the guy that is as cole just said the timely shots when K-State has really needed buckets and scoring uh they're getting it right now from kaluma so is it is it fair to say we're kind of seeing a reshaping of all that where Kaluma's becoming the the lead dog here. Absolutely. And I think it's because, as you said, Perry's uh, load and management is probably being spread out to other areas where it's not as conducive to the huge splash and scoring that we were accustomed to seeing from him in North Texas. For Cam Carter, the buckets of scoring are actually pretty there on a consistent basis. What his bugaboo is that'll probably hurt himself in terms of maybe reputation for like all big 12 stuff is the inefficiency. Um, he was efficient actually against Oklahoma state uh, going five and nine from the field, but uh, you know, his three point shootings a little bit down, although three of seven, like Oklahoma state was one of his better games shooting the basketball because he struggled shooting the basketball for much of this year. But to his credit, he's still finding ways to score and he's still the, the team's best perimeter defender. Uh, Arthur Kaluma's defending well, He's rebounding well. He's scoring well. He's shooting well. Uh, a little bit of an adventure at the free throw line every now and then. But there is no, like, besides his turnovers, when he tries to do a little too much, probably does the pump bait thing where he dribbles into traffic and gets himself into trouble. Um, there's really no noticeable flaw in what he's doing right now because he is supplying a really well-rounded contribution across the board in terms of several stats. And... You could tell, like, he's getting comfortable in Manhattan, getting comfortable at Kansas State, getting comfortable in that locker room because of the ways, you know, he's been able to speak up lately in press conferences. So you just see everything rounding into form for him. And he's doing it at the most significant moments now. So everything that people thought he was going to be when he entered the transfer portal and what they probably, Creighton, might have thought they, they were getting from him and you know, last year is starting to manifest itself right now in a Kansas State basketball uniform. Well, that pump I'll, jump in here. I'll jump in here real quick. Yeah, Cole, I, I think I know where you're going with that, which is a good point to make on it. I, I would also just say for him getting more comfortable, D.Y., I wanted to hit on that. Like, I think he was a guy that was really tight with Naquan Tomlin. Like, I think the recruitment of Arthur Kaluma started in large part because they were working out together with pre-draft or, you know, NBA draft stuff this, this past offseason, and he probably expected that to be a big part of not only just from a you know a guy that was going to be a, a friend with him there, but also somebody that would help take pressure off of him. And they you know they really sold like the link that they could have with those two guys out there. And uh, obviously that has gone away. And I think that's probably been an adjustment period. And things were tough and pretty tenuous for this team for a little while. And he got he there was the one game where he basically got sat by Jerome Tang, and Tang said he needed to buy in. I mean, 
I think it's fair to say there was a lot of stuff going on that was not particularly planned uh, for him when when he initially decided to come here to K-State. And so it's understandable that there was a little bit of a, a learning curve for that. And now he, he seems to be rounding into form there. No, I think it's a great point. I mean, I think we'd never asked Arthur Kaluma this, but I'm sure the Naquan Tomlin situation had an impact on him. I mean, we he's talked about how Naquan recruited him to Kansas State publicly in the past, and they were working out at NBA workouts together. And largely the reason he came here is because Naquan sold him on coming to Kansas State. And so, you know, when that situation unfolded, that, that could contribute to perhaps maybe a little early struggles and adjustment and just learning a whole new system and a whole new coaching staff as well for Kaluma. The one thing I was going to say about his, you know, actual game, you know, that pump fake's going to continue to become more and more effective that he does from three because he's shooting at 50% from three and he's shooting enough attempts from out there. The teams have to respect it. I mean, you know, he's 44 attempts in the last 10 games. So almost five attempts a game around four and a half per game from three. And he's making them at a 50% clip, which is going to enable his ability to blow past his defenders and get to the rim more, which we know he's really good at as well. And he's strong at finishing. So uh, his game is really evolving. And, you know, he's, he's shooting a career best, nearly five free throw attempts per game. He's shooting 76% from the foul line on the year. And I think he can probably even get to the foul line even more now as he continues to drive more. So the one thing I'll say, and I said it on the last one, is – I just think he needs to look to shoot more. He's got to be a little bit more assertive. There's something to be said about letting the game come to you, and I completely can agree with that. But in five of the last ten games, he's under double-digit field goal attempts each game. So I think he's got to be a guy that's shooting the ball 13, 14 times a game for this team to be really good. Yeah, and, you know, he is really turning into a really good defender as well. So I don't want anyone to lose sight of that. Um, talk about guys that score shoot i mean i i was surprised to hear this i mean Kansas state's seven and oh and will mcnear scores 10 or more points but uh so that that's another interesting stat maybe more coincidence than anything could be uh i do think arthur kaluma needs to shoot more and i think he's starting to understand that uh but he's top 12 in the big 12 in scoring right now and of those 12 guys he's shooting the best from the three-point line do you think that it feels like they make it a point of emphasis to get the ball into McNair to start the game? Have you noticed that? I think they I think it's it does. probably probably to test teams because look, if there's one place where if Kansas State's right, they could take advantage of it's inside because teams are going to worry about this guy and they're going to worry about that guy. And they, there was for a moment, Jerome Tang said in his in his post game said, you know, for a while I was upset we weren't getting him the ball more because they just weren't guarding him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's it's very noticeable that they do try to go to that. And honestly, like, yeah, I mean, it kind of under, it, it makes sense from that standpoint to me that they would have success if he is able to get in there and just, you know, to me, maybe this isn't fair. It feels like that's kind of stealing some points. If you're if you're getting Will McNair to get 10 points, that feels in a way like like stealing some easy baskets uh, and taking some of the pressure off the guys that we talk about who are going to be playing more on the perimeter and having to rely on them for all of your points. If you can get double digits from a guy like McNair, it's going to be a huge lift. And and Cole, I think you make such a great point on Kaluma. Like, Oklahoma State was the game where it really stood out to me where I was like, dude, his pump fake is so much more effective because they were flying at him. Oklahoma State was flying out to him at the three-point line. And so many times early in the year, we got frustrated with the, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, Kaluma's got the one move. I think I made the joke, like, you know, it was like a, knocked up when you've got uh, Seth Rogen out there and they're like, he's doing the dice thing too much. That's all he's got. You know I mean? It felt like Arthur Kaluma's one move was to, to pump fake and get into the lane, but it wasn't working well. He was having a hard time getting by guys because there wasn't as much respect for his three. I think that's there now and that's obviously on the scouting report. And so he's having more success with it and, and going to have more success with it, which, which bodes well. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know what else bodes well? You, you're heading into this Iowa State game. It's pretty important. Yeah. Two road games coming up with Iowa State and Houston. One is probably the more tougher atmosphere to play in front of. Obviously, that's Elton Coliseum and Ames. I don't think anyone thinks the Fertitta Center in Houston is a house ablaze, but Houston is by far the better team. So I don't know which Iowa State's probably the more gettable game. You're just doing it in a lot more tougher circumstances. But what I do like is because it's a Wednesday game, you just played on Saturday, you kind of get that extra day. And this is a team that's not very deep right now and has and it's been not allocating minutes across the board a whole lot this season 
but you get that extra day because it's a Wednesday game rather than Tuesday. Uh, it's even Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, right? David Gasson, because of foul trouble, only played 24 minutes. Will McNair, for the second game in a row, played less than 30 minutes. Tyler Perry, even though it was because of an illness, played the fewest minutes he has, then sometime at 30. So you might feel, for some of your guys, a little fresher than you normally would. Yeah, so long as they can get that sickness out, get that sickness out of the locker room. Hopefully it gives them enough time for Perry and them to get healthy and no one else gets it if they haven't already have it. Yeah, I I think it's a it's a good discussion, DY, coming up with this week. Um, because this is definitely like a to me, sort of a house money week. Um, but speaking of money, you know, if you want a if you want a lot of house money, you can uh, head on over to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs. They're bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying, as if it wasn't uh, electrifying enough after another Chiefs win. Um, take that, Buffalo. New customers can bet five bucks on any games and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code KCSN. New customers can bet just five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, I, you know, they're I, Canada's up there, right? Are they close? To, would they be Buffalo fans up there? It's a tough day. I listened to a little bit of uh, Buffalo sports radio on uh, on my way back from the gym this morning. Um, they're pretty they're pretty bummed. They're pretty upset. Uh, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. That's ram. Uh, see dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. Iowa State, man. Yeah, I, I Derek, you make a really, a really particularly good point, I think, on that. Like, they they need the, this is a perfect time to not be playing on Tuesday. It's a perfect time to be playing on Wednesday. They need to get guys a little bit of extra rest, and hopefully this is this is a nice little break for them after uh, pulling two games out of the fire in, in some ways this past week. But I, I don't know. Look, Iowa State, I would have said before Saturday, like I felt pretty good about K-State's chances to go in there and certainly have a chance to win down the stretch, especially because Iowa State has been playing without Lipsy. But then, I mean, they went in, uh, had to hang on for dear life, but they were smacking TCU around on Saturday without him. And uh, literally just held on by the skin of their teeth. TCU had a couple shots go in and out where they came furiously back from, was it 19 down? Was that the high water mark for Iowa State? Um, so I guess I, I don't really totally know what to think about it after that, but I think the thing with Iowa state is you, you, my stereotype with them is that they're going to play much the same way at K state. They want to rely on defense. They're not going to be a particularly high scoring outfit. And that's probably going to lend itself toward you having a chance to be in this game. Whereas Houston, now I know they're really good defensively too, but they feel like they've got a little bit more firepower to me where they like, that's the type of game where if they, you catch them on a night where they're hot, that could, that could get much more out of hand. Yeah, blindly, I could see that. But uh, if you look at what Houston's done in the last three, four games, I mean, they're struggling to score. They just, they just won, they won, what, two games in a row without scoring 60, I believe. So um, they scored okay. 50. They beat US, they beat UCF 57 to 42. Uh, so they're really playing suffocating basketball, having trouble scoring. I mean, teams are going in this league are going to go through slumps. And at least offensively, Houston's going through an offensive slope that's pretty steep at the moment. Um, now they, they do play a little bit of a slower pace that is conducive to some of these numbers, but Iowa state got a couple of guys can really light up in the three point line and that's a little, little troublesome. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's too stereotypical, uh, the way that it has folded because I, I don't know that Houston is significantly better on the offensive end yet than Iowa state so far this year. Um, uh, maybe in moments, but not, especially not recently and, I guess I'm not going to overreact or make grand sweeping conclusions from what Iowa State did in Fort Worth because if you go back and look at the last couple of years, for for some reason, T.J. Otzelberger just has TCU's number both home and away. Yeah, it's a it's two opponents that can attack a singular weakness for Kansas State. Houston, 
an elite offensive rebounding team under Kelvin Sampson year in and year out. K-State's not been a good defensive rebounding team the last couple of years. Obviously been terrific defensively. Just got to capitalize and get the board. Iowa State elite at turning teams over. And Kansas State is 338th in the country in turnovers per possession at over 20% this year. I mentioned it earlier. They're over 25% in their last three games and turning the basketball over. And so it's going to be critical that Kansas State takes care of the ball in this game. Look, K-State has won in Hilton Coliseum four out of the last six times. You go back to 2017, K-State is 4-2 and in Ames. Yeah. 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 So there were some – this kind of what like performances you didn't maybe expect. Case they went up there and won like ninety-one to seventy-five one year. I think Dean Wade lit them up yeah. in one game. I, I was going to say some of those teams from Kansas State aren't even that good, but some of those teams from Iowa State are not that good either. So. Yeah. Uh, look, Iowa State, an elite defensive team. They're the number three defense in Ken Palm currently on the season. They ranked eighth defensively last year and fifth nationally in TJ Otzelberger's first season in the 2021-2022 season so they've been top 10 in Ken Palm defense each of the last three years under Otzelberger they forced TCU into 27 turnovers the most in Jamie Dixon's eight seasons at TCU that led to 36 points off turnovers for Iowa State they're third in the country forcing turnovers on just under 26 percent of their opponents possessions they ranked third last year at that same category at 24.4 percent and they ranked sixth nationally in 2021-22 at 24%. They're number one in the country in steals per possession at 16.1%. They've forced 20-plus turnovers in six games this season and 15 or more turnovers in 15 of their 19 games. They're ninth in the country, holding teams to 39.3% from the floor. K-State is 14th at 39.6%. So two really good defensive teams. K-State's 23rd in Ken Palm defense. Iowa State, 161st at three-point defense at 33.2%. As an offense, they turn it over on 15.2% of their possessions. That ranks 68th, and I mentioned it earlier, K-State 338th nationally at 20.5% turnovers per possession offensively. So they got to take care of the basketball in this game. One thing that did surprise me, guys, Iowa State's 19th nationally shooting nearly 49% from the floor. So I did not expect that. They're 133rd in the country at three-point offense at 34.7%. And over their last five games, they're 18 of 81 from three. That's uh, that's only 22%. Yeah, I, I just busted out, I busted out Ken Palm here just to accentuate the points. I mean, you, you, we've talked a lot about the defenses here. Houston is the number one defensive efficiency team in the country, according to Ken Palm. Iowa State is number three. <laughs> so Iowa State's got the 53rd uh, adjusted efficiency offense in the country. Houston is 18th, so Houston is little bit better there but i mean look houston's number one in the country in ken bomb so either they are they are damn good they are damn good the turnovers are going to have to be cut down this week if k-state's going to have a chance to win one of these games no doubt yeah i i think iowa state's the gettable game just because i think they're they're less talented and some of their numbers i think are propped up from playing a very pillow soft non-conference schedule that is probably due for a little bit of regression. If anything, just because of the way they've played in the last week and a half, especially on the offensive end, which has dragged, I think they were top five in offense at one point. Now, like John said, they're down to 18, or I believe you just said. So their offense is taking a hit. They're probably due for a big offensive game. And and I do, like, there's a little bit of worry here, right, that their get-right games on offense are coming up and one of the opponents is Kansas State. Yeah, Um Look, at case they went into Ames last year, they had a real opportunity to knock off the Cyclones. I think they led late in the game. They ended up losing 80-76. to 76. But I think it's a game that you could steal, potentially. And I think it actually helps it, that they won at TCU. They're 3-2 they're and two in the league now. Um, look, it'll be a tough place to play, a really difficult atmosphere. I think a lot of it will be dependent upon containment. Lipsy, give it a go. He had a sprained shoulder. He missed the game against TCU. So you say to yourself, like, how did they get up by 19-plus against TCU and force that many turnovers without their leading scorer, leading assist man? Taman Lipsy, the sophomore point guard, over 14 points per game, over five assists per game, five-plus rebounds as well. Uh, really, their do-it-all guy. And the one thing I would say, and I said this about Iowa State last year, and they've done a nice job of taking care of the basketball this year, especially with Lipsy on the floor. But late in that game, TCU started to ramp up the pressure. You start pressing Iowa State. You start pressuring them defensively. 
and they will turn the ball over. If they do not have Tame and Lipsy, and K-State has to be careful with this because of minutes, battling, sickness, et cetera, we'll see how healthy they are. Uh, I would try to pressure Iowa State at times. That's what flipped the game in Manhattan last year. They started pressure, pressuring them when K-State was down. They turned them over some. You can turn over this Iowa State team, especially if they don't have Lipsy. Uh, that, that's what I would like to see K-State do is crank up the pressure and try to force some points in transition because it's really hard to score against Iowa State in your half-court set offense. If you can get out and run, that's going to really help you. The numbers be damned. Maybe I'm just a hater. I I don't think Iowa State is significantly better than Texas Tech or that much different, and Kansas State should have won in Lubbock. I, I think that's a pretty pretty good way to put it. Now, Iowa State has also beaten Houston in Ames. So, you know, I mean, they they have that type of performance in them. But <laughs> the thing, thing that strikes me, I'm looking at their profile. Dude, TJ Otzelberger really did a nice job with that schedule because they they did they are getting they're 14th in Ken Palm and I mean look they beat 214 352 299 281 98 279 45 the one fairly nice win they have in the non-con Iowa but then 298 343 314 207 I mean like that's their their non-con like the the wins that they had there and they're just blasting these teams they I mean which, which is, it's dumb that that's being rewarded, but Otzelberger knows the rules, and they, I mean, they played the game pretty well, I would say. They did. That's why I said some of their numbers, I think, are inflated. Yeah, it's definitely, they just beat the hell out of bad teams and inflated their numbers, and then, you know, that also helps them in the net rankings. I mean, they, they only have, what, they have, uh, their number 10 in the NCAA net rankings, yet they only have between quad one and quad two, four quad one and two wins combined, but yet they're 10th in the net because their efficiency metrics are so high. So, yeah, they, they blew the door off some teams, and and that helped them. Yeah, and then you think about K-State's non-con, where it was all the overtime games and just squeaking past the Chicago States of the world. You know, I mean, that's it's really kind of the uh, the difference there. Um, any thoughts, any other thoughts on on basketball to close out that discussion? Uh, I w- you're right. I was going to respond there. You're right about Iowa State having to win over Houston at home and Ains, but it, in that way, they're kind of like Kansas State, where they're a threat to go nine zero at home in the conference. So they're good. They're that good at home. Yeah. Just uh, if you can go one and one this week, you take that in a heartbeat and you feel really good. So I I I think to get where they want to get, and I'm talking about the high end grabbing one of these is probably almost a requirement. Now I know you can just get some late, but to continue to feel bad, better about yourself, to continue to compete for a Big 12 championship, right? I think the requirement here is one. If you lose both, then you're probably going, going reverting back to a little bit of take care of everything at home and you're probably on the right side of the boat. Okay, well, that, my, my follow-up question to that was going to be what what are we talking about here on the high end of what they want to compete for? Because are are we viewing that as a realistic discussion to even be having? I mean, I understand that they're one of two teams, right? Just them in Texas Tech right now that are four and one in the Big Twelve, and everything else is a jumbled mess of teams that are like two and three or three and two. Correct. But it, it's still, I mean, I don't want to discount them, and I don't want to this to be like I'm trying to talk down to them or anything at all. They've they've earned this, and the point about Kansas is perfect. Kansas just lost to. UCF and West Virginia, K-State blasted both of those teams and they're 4-1 and one and a game ahead of them in the standings. But I, I still feel like we see the warts that this team has and think that that'll be a tall task to be legitimately competitive in that throughout the rest of the year. But it, it's, it's, I guess, a fair discussion point to bring up. How much are we buying into that now with how much of a jumbled mess the rest of the league is? Like, it's been crazy for everybody out there. Well, they're sitting there at 4-1 in the Big 12 right now. If they were to split... <laughs> One of the next split the next two games, and you're talking about another huge road win. I would be hard. Look, I don't like if you hook me up to a lie detector test right now and says this team talented enough and playing well enough to compete for a Big 12 championship. I would say no, right? If you hook me up to a lie detector test, I think this team is trending in the right direction, but that's probably a step too far in my mind. But if they split the next two games, you're talking about either winning at Iowa State or at Houston, and you're telling me they're five and two in the Big 12 probably still in first and have already two road wins that I'd be hard pressed to say they might not hang around a little bit. Yeah. I think Ken Palm has them what projected to finish nine and nine in the league as of today. Yeah. So, yes. But yeah, yes, but also Ken Palm also. And so, so some of this, you got to understand like you're playing 
probabilities here. If you go look at it, it's really jarring because they only have two games predicted as wins the rest of the way, which would be Oklahoma State on the road and West Virginia at home. But there are so many of these that are like 46%, 42%, 48%, you know, that are that are pretty close there. And the, the reason why I said what I say, and I don't know if Cole will, he might he might share this belief, is if you're five and two with two road wins already, look, maybe I got my head in the sand. I can't say it's winning at least seven or eight in the Big 12 at home. No, I think that's fair. I mean, I think they're, they're really good at home. I, I would think they'll win at least seven of the, the nine league games at home. And if you get two on the road, then I'd feel comfortable, you know, thinking this team's going to win at least nine league games. They might steal another one or two on the road. Look, I'm sure Jerome Tang in that locker room, they're thinking, why not us? Why can we not compete for a Big 12 championship? They're not saying, like, you know, we, we can talk and be like, hey, get to nine and nine, go you know, win five more league games and you're probably going to the NCAA tournament and that's an accomplishment with all the adversity that this team's dealt with. But I'm, I know the people in that locker room and the coaches, they're not thinking that way. Us as fans can think that way, but, you know, hopefully they exceed all of the expectations that us on the outside potentially have and they continue to excel and thrive. And if you can you can steal one this week, that would be huge. It'd be a quad one win that would obviously stick for the whole year easily. Um, really lift your resume up and and be significant for this team. And that West Virginia game, guys, I mean, D.Y., I think I said to you after they beat Texas in Morgantown, like West Virginia, that win is going to look better and better as the year goes on because they're going to get Jesse Edwards back probably in the next week. And once they get the talented center back from Syracuse, I think that's going to be a team that can win seven or so league games. And they may sneak into quad two win territory for K-State. They're 154th in the net. As of today, they have to get into the top 135 for K-State to get a quad two win out of that because it was on the road. And there's a very good possibility, I think, that they can do that. When they beat KU, they jump from 167 to 154 in the net. So you knock off a couple upsets, you're probably going to jump into that top 135. And I, I hope the best for Josh Eilert and that team and that program, obviously not winning in Manhattan when they play in a month or so. But uh, hopefully they continue to have some success and make that win look better. Villanova came close to beating UConn over the weekend, fell a little bit short, didn't help them at all in the net, stayed 38. So what? where are we at then with quad one wins right now? Is there anything outside of Baylor? That they have? No. Baylor's yeah. the only one that won. But, I mean, I think they have nine or ten left. Yeah, What's I mean, what are our friends at, uh, at Providence doing right now? How, well, how, Speaking of blowing out opponents, John, Providence beat the doors off of DePaul the other night, which was, uh, I think DePaul was 291st in the net. But because they beat them 162 on the road, they uh, they moved from 67 to like 54 in the net. Now they sit today at 58 in the net. They got to get in the top 50 to be a quad one win. So um, they got to move up eight, eight more spots this year. Villanova was uh, was right there on the cusp of becoming a quad one, and they lost by one at home to number one UConn on Saturday night. So uh, the officials called two hook charges in the last minute on Villanova on Eric Dixon. Questionable. Well, Second name. Give me, give me names. Give me names. Driscoll. Pat Driscoll. So I knew it. I yeah. knew it. Never heard that yeah. name before in my life, but uh, but Cole Cole has it down. I didn't have all the names of the officials on Saturday in Manhattan, man. They, I didn't. I didn't recognize uh, one of those guys that um, was doing the game. Darren George and uh, Marcus Pettigrew, I believe, were the other two. But I didn't recognize the other, the third guy. So, by the way, USC is eight and eleven on the record this year. Uh, just not a good team at this point. But somehow, it's still ninety in the net. Yeah, I guess I should have. Should amend my statement from earlier at the very beginning when I said, you know, avoiding having the one bad loss on the schedule. I guess uh, USC is definitely there. And, uh, they still don't. They still don't have a bad loss. They're, they're nine and zero in the quad three and quad four. Yeah, and it's a quad two loss. It's not necessarily bad, even though they're even level. Uh, Miami is a team you thought would be better too. They're sixty four in the net. Um, they keep losing ACC games. That's not good for them. Hopefully LSU can kind of rise up a little bit. They're at ninety-two. But how close is how close is USC to to slipping? Not very. Okay. 
Okay. So we don't have much to worry about there. All right. Because it's on a neutral floor and they're in the top 100 already for some reason. I, I don't know if they should. I see. I'm shocked. That, that's why I'm shocked that they're in the top 100. I'm shocked to hear that. But I don't know. Bronny James bump, I guess. Um, Cole, I, I feel like you could be, you know, Ken Palm. Ken, Ken Palm's just a dude. Ken Pomeroy, right? You know, came from uh, relative obscurity to have one of the biggest basketball sites around. I feel like if you started okay. uh, an officials, if you started an officials website, you could become that guy for basketball officiating and we could all be talking about it and referencing it and you would be you would be the man to do it. I, I, I knew you were going there. Um uh, there actually used to be a website that I tracked back when I was in college called statsheet.com. I don't believe it exists anymore, but you could track every college basketball official in the country and you damn well bet I did. So uh you know you could you could track their trends, the foul trends, how many technicals they call as an individual, et cetera, like uh, fouls per game and games that they officiate. It's, you know, it had all the things, how many games I, I think I, I wrote a column one time because some of these guys were going and officiating over a hundred games and like they were doing six to seven games a week. And I wrote a story about how, you know, some of these guys are older in age and there is no way they could be at the top of their game traveling night in and night out throughout the country and officiating and trying to keep up with the pace of these games. And so, you know, I, I, I ripped into them pretty good. These guys make good money. That's why I'm not afraid to call out college basketball officials. They're overpaid. BYU, despite losing to Texas Tech uh, and losing a huge lead on the road to Texas Tech, uh, the Red Raiders apparently played better from behind this year. Um, BYU's still top five in the net. D.Y., why are you stealing the conversation away from officials? Yeah, I was like, wait, D.Y., just completely uninterested in your, in, in. I, we, we are trying, yeah, we're trying to, what should we call it, John? What I just think coldpalm.com. I think it needs to have like something to do with the officials, but, uh, wow, I'll think about it. Have to workshop yeah. that, you know, uh, at Cole underscore man back on Twitter. If you have any ideas for that, uh, you can send them to the the Discord on Patreon as well. If you want to join our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash three ma. Five bucks a month, you can get the Discord with um, inside info there, just uh, be able to interact with us on a regular basis, like a giant group chat. Plus, uh, live shows every single week. We give you some extra, extra audio content there also. So make sure that uh, you get signed up at patreon.com slash three mob uh do we want to slip in just a little uh dante cephas is is official he he finally announced that he's here k-state gets a uh wide receiver transfer i know we've already talked about cephas quite a bit but penn state transfer who initially was at kent state with uh matthew middleton will be a uh a boost to the receiver core should at least uh alleviate some people's concerns about what was going on there i would think yeah, last UCLA and Pittsburgh for him. I think it's been a done deal for plenty of for, for a few, at least a few weeks, uh, and I didn't have really any concerns that this was going to unfold in a, in a positive manner for Kansas State. And I know he didn't achieve uh, what he wanted at Penn State, probably, but he was still their number two leading receiver. It just shows you how it could have been a product of how poorly that offense was constructed and, and how it went under Drew Alar. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator. The, the two prior years. I mean, he's lighting it up for, what, almost 2,000 yards, maybe over 2,000 yards for who will be his Kansas State receivers coach this upcoming season. Uh, and one of those he did with Tez Walker, right? So both those he did with Tez Walker. The first one, he was much better than Tez Walker. So I don't think he's a product of just Tez Walker becoming a huge name on the scene in, at Kent State either. So uh, I, I, I realize that some people want this guy – this you know group of five power five receiver it's got a thousand yards in the year before and is an all big 12 player or an all conference player but you know sometimes it, it doesn't work out that way and this is probably the next best thing and, and it's still a guy that i think in a better situation would have had a lot better numbers last year think how think how excited dy kansas state fans would have been to get a guy like dante cephas last year when he was ranked as the number 15 overall player in the transfer portal out of over a thousand guys according to the on three industry ranking consensus and was coming off two years where he had nearly 2000 yards combined receiving and 12 touchdowns. And so that one year at Penn state, people see the stat line. They see some of the struggles. First of all, I think a big thing there was guys, he didn't arrive at Penn state until after spring ball. I believe he came in in the summer, had to pick up a whole new system. 
and uh, Drew Aller and that offense under Mike Yersich was a mess. There's a reason they fired their offensive coordinator uh, at during the middle of the season. They went all in on Andy Koldenecki, the KUOC, to go get him this offseason. And so I wouldn't take a lot from the Penn State numbers because their downfield passing attack was a disaster. I mean, Cephas was fifth on the team in receiving yards, but he was number two among wide receivers in receiving yards. They, they did not have the ability to stretch the field. It was poorly planned. And uh, Aller was not was not great. He, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of shorter throws. So the thing I would say about it is Matthew Middleton knows him well. He knows what he's getting in Dante Cephas, had him for his two best seasons. I I wouldn't focus too much on the Penn State numbers. I, I think he'll be fine at Kansas State. And they, they'll know, and he'll be here for spring ball because he's already on campus. So that's going to be a huge help for him. You know, Penn State's been <clears throat> like an elephant graveyard for uh, for good offense here recently. So yeah, I'm not I'm not going to put ton of stock into that i'm happy for it uh i'm excited for it you throw him in obviously with jace brown keegan johnson Jaden jackson even if you want to go to uh garrett oakley at tight end and then you know dj giddens at, at running back there are going to be uh quite a few skilled position weapons out there at the disposal of of avery johnson and company this year it's going to do it for us uh as always thank you to our friends at holiday distillery our friends at DraftKings, our friends at Homefield apparel we appreciate the work of Nick Springer behind the scenes. For Derek Young and Cole Bambeck, I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to another edition of 3Ball. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.